welcome to Pat and Rod Save the World. It's the week ending 31 January 2015. I'm Pat. I'm Roderick. And today we were pretty underwhelmed with the week's news. So I think underwhelmed is the word. Yeah, there's just not a great deal of interest going on, um, at least in the media I read. It's currently dominated by journalists jerking each other off over um, the 2016 presidential election cycle. Um, so That being the American media. In Australia, it's more about uh, the latest fuck-up of one Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, uh, which I might t- we might touch on uh, a little bit in this one, depending on where the conversation goes. Yeah, um, yeah. But the upshot of it is, is we thought that it would be a more interesting conversation to talk about um, how religion may have uh, helped Western society evolve, whether yeah. or not it was a useful thing, was it replaceable, um, so basically a lot of counterfactual speculation. Yes, a uh, bit more of a sort of philosophical discussion, uh, if that doesn't sound too wanky. Um, the evolution of thought and belief and, uh, and power, really. Um, and power, yeah, and the religious justifications thereof. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the reasons I think that's an interesting sort of discussion to have, um, just in terms of our, our own podcast, um, in that... We, uh, we've given religion um, as an idea and how it's working in the world today quite a lot of shit. And I think a lot of that is justified. Um, but it's an interesting thought to me, um, you know, if you look at it as a, uh, as a whole in human evolution, whether or not it's been a on balance, useful and worthy th- um, uh Tool of advancement. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think we're both, as you say, we've pasted religion a fair amount. And I think that we're both of the opinion that at best it's a vestigial remainder of human evolution that should be cast off in favour of more rational thought frameworks. Would I be right in saying that that's basically the opinion that's common between us? Uh, yeah. Right. So that's, that's not to say, though, that it's always been, I mean, obviously, vestigial implies that at some point it had use. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I suppose, um, let's, uh, let's set the scene. Um, Go ahead, man, you do it. All right. Uh, so it is 10,000 years uh, longer, let's say 50,000 years ago. Sure. Um, uh, you're a little tribe of proto-humans, um, you're living in caves with pointed sticks, and it's basically the strong survive. If, uh, if, you're, the, uh, if you're the strongest person in your tribe, then you, ha- you say what goes. Uh, weaklings get either you know, kicked out or... Um, overpowered. Overpowered. Uh, if you're born with anything that seems... Um, that will hold the tribe down. Shit, you just get left out in the uh, in the elements to die as a as an infant, um, and uh, and that's the way things are going. And then uh, and then one day, someone who uh, probably isn't the strongest person in the village eats some mushrooms and has visions and is able to uh, convey these, these visions to the rest of the tribe and somehow suddenly has the power of eternity at his beck and call, according to uh, the people um, who he's living with. And a whole new power structure is suddenly uh, created. Hmm. And the, uh, the advantage of that through the, uh, through the years is that uh, throughout various sort of guises of religion, people who would not otherwise normally gain power in a strictly sort of survival of the fittest uh, evolutionary model of the human race gained power and influence. And you think about how, what that might have done for, imagine, for like the imagination of the human race. Things like, um, you know, music and art, um, shit storytelling. 
all these sort of things that have helped us advance and helped, uh, I suppose, the collective IQ yeah. of the human race, I don't think would ever have got to the point we were without those first stumblings into religion and things outside of our day-to-day experience. So that's my bait. That was sort of where I was starting with. Hmm. It's hard to know. Yes. Um, there's obviously a real commonality between early humans, regardless where they were. There seems to be something of an instinct for belief in the supernatural built into humans. Um, and at least the current view that I've read is that um, humans as pattern recognition machines um, that adapt to their environment need an explanation to explain the patterns that they think they perceive. Mm. Sometimes they're right about it, at least from our current perspective of um, science and evidence, um, and sometimes they're wrong. And so if you, you will recognise the pattern of throwing a sharpened stick at an animal and killing the animal, and you then reach the conclusion that that stick is a weapon and that's a useful way to get meat. About that, you'd be correct. But you might also um, notice a correlation between when you jerk off and when it rains, <laughs> to pull out a random example. Now, your cor- the correlation there is obviously not causation. You're wrong about that, but that's not to say you're not going to form a religion around it <laughs> as a pattern recognition machine. That's an interesting religion you've got there, Pat. That's it. Well, there were, uh, you know, I won't go into the Norse. Fertility cults. Yeah, Norse mythology has stuff about that. Um, So I think that it's inherent to human beings, um, even still in the face of all the evidence that seems to suggest that uh, the earth is over 6,000 years old, that... um, Just by a bit, though. (laughs) Just by a touch. Um, I mean, people still sustain these beliefs to the exclusion of rationality Hmm. and um, evidence-based science. So it's it's more than just a kind of an instinct for belief. It seems also to, for some people, be really a necessary thing. Um, It causes problems now, and I just wonder whether or not um, humans could have advanced to the point that we're at without it. Yeah, and... Um, it's a super important social cohesion device. Yeah, I I suspect that we couldn't have. Um, so, yeah, now we're in the realm of pure speculation. Yeah. Um, to sort of pull it out of the mists of time and put it in a real historical context, like what you could say, at least in my view, is if you look at the way that religion has... Um, manifested throughout history. It's just an incredibly important organisational device. It's a a rhetorical method for um, marshalling resources, um, maintaining loyalty of large groups of people, um, and providing a narrative that um, underlies initiative by large groups of people, Mm. which is ultimately when you look at any kind of human advancement, it has to be something that's done en masse. Uh, yeah, I was also uh, thinking of it, I touched on it before, in terms of how it's helped, um, well, the expansion of, um, of thought and that for most of our history, hmm. um, asking the sort of the big questions has been the domain of religions and that's... Um, you know, you, you, uh, it's more science now, but like in terms of the questions about who, who are we in the world, in the universe, what is, uh, what does it all mean? That's always been religion. And, that's, and I think that's something that it has been important to the human race um, because as we've advanced and kept asking those questions, um, we've kept finding... Uh, well, for however many millennia, we didn't really get much further than whatever the religion said was the answer. But it, it eventually got to the point where we were able to start finding more and more things out, especially in the last couple of centuries. Um, hmm. 
Yeah. Um, you would say that... So, if you look at Western civilization, mm-hmm. which at least from... Um, um, the end of medieval times or even during the Renaissance yeah. um, has reigned supreme so far as power, trade, commerce. I mean, the Christian world has essentially um, dominated since the Middle Ages. Uh, I would say... Actually, yeah, conquest, since the conquest of the Americas... Mm. That was the game changer for the Western civilization. Until then, um, well, they were until then you from would dark say, ages. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that was at the like the, the conquest of uh, of the Americas was, you know, not until the end of the 1600s. So I mean, it's it's out of the Middle Ages at that point. Mm. Um, and until then, I mean, there's strong arguments to say that Western civilization was probably bringing up the rear a bit into like it was probably, as compared to who? as compared to say the Islamic. Uh, world at that time, uh, certainly lagging well behind um, China. Um, well, what about the Italians um, and the uh, uh, medieval Renaissance in Italy? Uh, again, that's not really um, much before 1500, 1600. Um, when does the medieval era end? It's generally considered around fifteen hundred, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. As in, it's it's a it, there's no hard and fast definition of when medieval times end and when they. Uh, but um, just as a rough guide, if you could, you know, you can draw a line at around fifteen hundred. Um, so would we be able to say then? Because I'm not knowledgeable about that area. It's, yeah. it's probably clear at this point. Um, at the end of the medieval era, or the transition from the medieval or out of the medieval era, Christian civilization was the more powerful civilization. In the yeah, world. I'd say, um, yeah, from uh, uh, and just you know, getting back to the conquest of the Americas, that's that to me is what really started the West's uh, dominance in you know human civilizations for. Uh, you know, it's time, and I don't think it's really stopped um, because it's it gave them, you know, the wealth that uh, just hasn't you know was unmatched. They suddenly had so much wealth and power. Hmm. Um, so, meanwhile, you know, um, meanwhile China, which had been, you know, uh, certainly more advanced in many ways. Um, stagnated. Um, the uh, the Islamic civilization, which had been you know booming for several centuries, began stagnating. Um, there now, when did they start receding from southern Spain? Mm. And um, it was certain. I think it was. Uh, it was certainly before the conquest of the Americas. Um, I mean, only because they were. I, I know they were Christian. When was the was Christian it? kings of Spain, king and queen of Spain, who sent Columbus? It was um, like, but it was like the 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 sort of the high watermark was the Andalus, mm-hmm. like the Islamic control of yeah. Andalus, and the loss thereof started the sort of receding waters of the Islamic Empire. Yeah, let's. Why not just get a date? Yeah, we'll be back. So it turns out that. The last major, um, the fall of Granada in 1492 was um, the last the last sort of major bastion of um, uh, Muslim power on the Iberian Peninsula. Yeah. Um, and they felt, that fell to the Christians. Um, and basically... The Islamic Empire had been in decline well before that, but that was really the end marker of it. Yeah, that um, was like the, that was that was it for the spread into Europe of. Yeah, so um, I suppose you could basically argue that from sort of the fifteen hundreds on, Western civilization was on the up and up, and arguably the most dominant. Yeah, 
Uh, uh, and I mean, power it, and resources. Yeah. And I mean, that just kept getting uh, sort of shoved in people's faces in the centuries after that, I suppose, when you've got the, you know, the very old um, civilizations of, um, you know, India and China, for instance, um, which had been, you know, going for thousands of years and for thousands of years were far more advanced than the West. Um, and then you've got the British coming along with uh, better guns and uh, military organisation and taking them over without too much of a hassle. Uh, certainly India, not so much taking over China, but I know the, um, uh, the humiliation that China felt losing the opium wars and having to give up Hong Kong and things like that um, to the British um, was a, a massive blow to a ages-old civilization. Um, yeah, especially one that considered anyone from outside um, a barbarian. Hmm. It's a very difficult thing to swallow, I suppose, having your ass handed to you by, quote, barbarians. Yeah. Um, I can imagine that that would have rankled. But, you know, the West never had a monopoly over the knowledge that enabled them to do that. No. And it took the Chinese a real long time to realise that perhaps the model that the West was using was a good one to adopt. Um, and they have done that over the last 30 years and seem a hell of a lot better off for it. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, not anyway, to Anyway, sorry, what was, uh, getting back, what, so was, the basic, uh, what was the point you were making? The basic point is, is that Western civilization has been preeminent yeah. for hundreds of years. And Western civilization was inarguably based on Christian ideals. Yep. And there was, of course, a great deal of nastiness involved in conquest. Lots of unchristian things. I mean, um, you know, Cortez's behaviour in uh, uh, in Mexico. Is it? Have I got the name right? Yeah, it was Cortez in Mexico, and uh, oh, who was the one who went down to the Incas? Um, I should know this. They're the guy who burned his ship and said, "We're no, fucking that, staying here." That, no, that was that was Cortez. That was Cortez, Incas, yeah. right? Okay, that was Cortez in Mexico. So I mean, look, there's rather than sort of trying to reach into our memory banks on the history here. Clearly, Christians were very badly behaved, and I'm not for a second saying that what Western civilization did was justified in the Christian sort of ideal. But once you rent a place, um, you typically rent it via a monarchy, which derived its legitimacy from um, religion, yeah, from Christianity. And you could argue that Christianity as or the ideals of Christianity running a society gave space for um, people to have more freedom. Um, that's a really sort of controversial idea. But I would say that once you've established the bounds of a Christian state or a state that's where most of the people in it believe in Christian ideals, there's a certain idealism about Christian ideals that mm. is arguably necessary for the evolution of a modern-day um, society. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting thought. Like, I, I'm just positing that as a theory. It's not something that I'm sure about. I just think that the, the fact that Christianity was such a kind of... When you look at the, the texts, the teachings of Christ <laughs> were so laissez-faire yeah. and, frankly, so limp-dick... <laughs> That it, I, I, I think that while there were lots of conquistadors and nasty stuff that claimed to be Christian, that's ultimately a restraining influence that allows for yeah. um, individuals to flourish in a way that perhaps they wouldn't under other of the world's major religions. Yeah, like the thing that never fails to fascinate me about Christianity is the complete disconnect between the Old and New Testaments. Like, they are two hugely different uh, belief structures in the one book, basically. Yeah. When you've, like, <clears throat> when you've got bloody Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, when you've got turn the other cheek, when you've got all that stuff, love your neighbour as yourself, the one commandment, mm. set against eye for an eye, um, yeah, and, and all, all the crazy and genocidal all, all shit. All the crazy genocidal shit yeah. of the Old Testament. It's always been... And, 
written off with the fairly unsatisfactory idea, though, that there's the old deal yeah. and then there was the new deal. Yeah. It was kind of like this Rooseveltian initiative <laughs> from God to provide but, yeah. humans with a nicer sort of set of uh, rules to live by. Yeah, but the amount of, uh, of so-called Christians who have basically just ignored the New Testament, which really should be Christianity 101, to uh, to more go by the um, the teachings of the Old Testament, and you see that today with uh, yeah, a lot right. of like the uh, fire and brimstone Southern U.S. Christianity. Mm. Um, it's uh, it just never fails to fascinate me that people people don't seem to see a, an issue with uh, with ignoring the teachings of Christ because they're still following the Bible, um, and that that goes against the very very tenuous theory that I have about Christianity allowing space for individuals to do things that perhaps they wouldn't be able to do under a stricter structure. Um, so, I mean, the, the question is basically, the evolution of Western society has been steps through, from, like it's, it's stepped through monarchy to nation states, to where, which is where we are basically today. And I think towards a more humanitarian perspective where nation states matter less as time goes on. Mm. And the European Union is probably a good idea of the beginnings of that evolution, a good example of the beginnings of that evolution. Nationality still matters, but I think to our generation it matters less. Yeah, I think you might be right there. Just um, uh, just had a thought um, when we were sort of talking about, um, well... Uh, I suppose things like uh, colonization and um, militaristic spread of uh, of Western civilization and, and things like that. Uh, it was something we were talking about the other night, um, and it's the idea of uh, one of the uh, major criticisms, I suppose, of religion um, uh, and the violence that has come with it over the years. And there are any number of examples you could come up with um, in not just Western civilization, but, you know, uh, wars between Shiites and Sunnis in, um, in, the, uh, in the Islamic world. Um, you know, the, the idea that you're going to go and have a... You're going to kill someone because their idea of the same God that you believe in is slightly different. Um, yeah, a lot of blood spilled over whether or not Jesus was actually a man. Yeah. <laughs> For instance, that was one of the early arguments in Christianity. A lot of people died on account of that dispute. I didn't know that. Yeah. I never heard that. Major sort of division in the fourth century. Yeah. Um, which I think was cleared up by, like, was it the Nicene Council? I honestly, this is not uh, something yeah. I have any knowledge of. This is one of those things that I would have to really go back and read about. But it was a serious contention early on. A lot of Christians were slaughtering each other over whether or not Jesus was actually a man. <laughs> And ultimately they decided, yes, he was actually a man. I'm pretty sure they figured that out with the sort of doctrinal council of Nicene. So, so uh, was it a question of was he actually a man or just God? Or was no, he a man the, or a woman? Or So the, the idea was is that, um, like, was he actually a man? Or did he just appear as one? Okay. It's a pretty minor sort of, you would think, <laughs> subtle distinction. Yeah. Um, but people were really ready to spill blood over that. But shit, you want to talk subtle distinction. Is this bit of wafer um, symbolic of the body of Christ or has it actually been transubstantiated into the body of Christ? Trans the amount of people who've been killed over that fucking question. Yeah. That's the amount of people who've been tortured to death <laughs> over that question. Like religion has a fucking lot to answer for. Um, but uh, so a question that I think is worth asking, um, I don't think that the violence of, and I feel free to disagree with me on this, anyone who's listening, and I think, Pat, you might disagree with me to an extent on this. The violence that has come with religion over the millennia, I think humanity would have found some other way I, I don't think it would have been any. Uh, I don't think human civilization would have been any less violence, violent without religion. I think 
I think, I mean, I think the very fact that there was so much violence over such meaningless, inconsequential um, hair splitting over, you know, does this bread symbolize a thing or is it formed into the thing? I think that basically says that if religion didn't exist, people would be murdering, torturing, uh, going to vast wars over pretty much anything else. Like people, people would have found something else that they were believing in. Um, you might have seen much stronger nationalism I mean, because there have been any number of wars over just between nation states that have nothing to do with religion. Um, True that. Yeah. Um, I mean, the long and short of it is, I think that religion basically is a way to co-opt people's minds into whatever project the group of people who hold the beliefs in common mm. decide is appropriate. Yeah. That's that's my view on it. I think it's really just been it's just been a very important organizational structure, and that for humankind to evolve and to progress. It needs to be en masse and that for a large period of time, yeah. the majority of human history, religion has been the way to co-opt the individuals into the, the human project. And as such, I, I think that you can say that it's been critical to the advancement of humanity. I think so. Um, and that uh, we were better off for it than without it. The thing is, though, it's such a counterfactual because the desire to believe in something greater than ourselves is obviously so ingrained yeah. that you can scarcely imagine a world without it. Like, and so, you know, ultimately, yeah. it's it's very hard oh, shit, to say look at the rise the, of Scientology. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so even like when people apparently bring a scientific rational basis to. To, to belief structures, you end up with shit like Scientology. No, no, I, I can't. They consider themselves eminently rational and modern and contemporary in thought. Yeah, but there is no scientific rational basis to it. Well, they consider it's the ra- it's, it's, They think that there is. No, I'm not even sure that they do. Um, yeah, it's, absolutely. They absolutely do. They have those little machines that measure the like the thetans and stuff. Yeah, I've got no idea what how those things work. They don't. Um, but, um, well, they have a lot of people convinced that they do, and I'm not saying that they do. But there's obviously some kind of scientific mechanism that's making the dial whiz, so that people can think that actually something worthwhile is happening. It's a quasi sort of scientific um, movement, Scientology. And it's obviously utterly absurd, but it has a lot of um, a lot of our contemporaries who have access to just the same amount of information that we have access to convinced. So presumably, it is a well. I mean, I know that it's quasi scientific, even if it is obviously still a religion. Um, where was I going with that? I was basically saying it's very hard to imagine a world without religion. So that the counterfactual seems in a way to be meaningless. Like, was it useful? Well, can you imagine a world where it didn't exist? Yeah. How do you reach... I mean, I suppose you can then reach a conclusion that it was useful, but it doesn't seem like a very controversial point to make <laughs> in the end. Um, I don't know. There are plenty of people who've, uh, you know who seem to be of the opinion that the human race would have been better without, better off without religion ever. Um, uh, and they usually talk about things like, you know, the Spanish Inquisition and religious wars and, and you know, all the obvious flaws of it. Um, but the, I, I just, I don't think that the human, I don't think that human uh, civilization as a whole, would have been any less violent if religion had never existed. I don't believe that for a second. Yeah, I don't either, basically. I think there's a strong argument to be made, although you could never prove it, that the world would have been more violent, um, yeah. particularly so far as the West is concerned, without the restraining rhetoric of Christianity. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that while the, the sort of Western world is about as aggressive as it gets, that... I mean, ultimately, 
the ideas espoused in the New Testament must have had some kind of restraining influence. I'd like to think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine how they wouldn't. Because people, I mean, you, if you take them at their word, they did take those beliefs seriously, even if the way that they applied them was sort of completely uh, incongruous. Um, yeah. I suppose if we want to go all the way back to my sort of hypothetical cave people at the start, um, where it was just there, there was uh, there was no prior concept of uh, of religion um, in any sense, and it was pure just animalistic survival of the fittest. If we'd continued evolving in that way, I think there'd be a strong argument made that we would have been a much more violent race, more violent and arguably less technologically um, advanced mm. because, again, I go back to this sort of macro theory that I could never prove. Religion is an incredibly good way to marshal resources and loyalty. Yeah. And if they'd not had that, I mean, really, what's the reason to contribute to the human project if you don't have a kind of a metaphysical rationalization for it. Yeah. And they weren't going to come up with the sort of modern day 21st century humanist ideal, whatever that is, by the way, because I still don't think people have really figured out a solid alternative. Um, I mean, one of the sort of the, the great sort of um, currents in, in Western thought during the 20th century were, was, first of all, existentialism, um, and uh, 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 the other one escapes me, postmodernism, yeah. which really, in a way, just was throwing up one's hands. <laughs> Do you know what uh, I mean? Postmodernism. And, and really oh, just, yeah, well, as they said, postmodernism fell with the Twin Towers. <laughs> it, and I actually think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, the the postmodernistic ideal and sort of cultural relativism just seemed to be the irrelevant wine and cheese debate of academics I always, when those towers yeah, fell. I always thought of postmodernism as a very convenient way for a stupid person to try and sound intelligent. I never had a lot of respect for it. Absolutely it was. If you read the stuff by Derrida and Foucault, though, who were great postmodernist thinkers, yeah. they had valid points to make um, about the influence of perspective. They just, yeah. like most things, though, they just took it too far. Yeah. They just thought that that was the fucking solution. That was the panacea. It's yeah. like not As in, a factor it's, amongst it's, many. It is self-evident that a historian writing something is going to have his own perspective on it, which will colour it. Yeah. That is not the same thing as saying, we can never know what actually happened. Um, That's, yeah. And I think the postmodernists went much further than anyone ever had yeah. and revealed many important things in that process. But that ultimately this idea of there being no objective truth mm. was just... Well, you know, tell that to the families of 9-11 victims. Yeah. Tell them that that's really just, well, it's cultural. I mean, culturally, that's what they felt they had to do, yeah. man. It's like, well, no, fuck those guys. Yeah. Fuck those guys and fuck yourself. Yeah, <laughs> like you are, um, you're not on our side in this. So <laughs> I think that, like, it's, I, I really don't feel like Western society has actually come up with a solid alternative, mate. No. To be absolutely frank with you, despite... You've, there are a lot of sort of new age spiritualist movements. Um, there is some sort of interesting evolution taking place from a Buddhist perspective. There's a lot around these days about mindfulness yeah. that draws from the Buddhist perspective of essentially um, taking care of and examining your own mind and using that as the basis for a proper, well-lived um, existence yeah. as a human being. And I think that's got legs. St Sam Harris recently wrote a book um, called Waking Up, and he's a noted atheist who's had a lot of things to say about religion. He says that in this book, basically, you shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, that there are valuable things about the contemplative life that has commonly been associated with religion that we can use to better our existence. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, it's just... And that I think is a reasonable point to make. Yeah. As someone who meditates quite often, I, I think that helps me. Um, and 
I, I would never call it a sort of a religious practice, but um, yeah. there is a, a metaphysical aspect to it that's undeniable. Yeah. It's an interesting idea that I have absolutely no answers on whatsoever um, in the, uh, the, the thought of the evolution of human thought and belief and where it's going. I have no fucking idea where it's going. Um, there just doesn't because, seem to be a real alternative to yeah, religious. Yeah, I, I mean, there is a certain inertia of belief as well. Like once something has been around for a certain amount of time, you just you can't see it. you can't see people getting rid of it. Like I can't say. I mean, certainly in the next couple of hundred years, I don't think there's going. I mean, I don't think uh, people are suddenly going to just get rid of Christianity and Islam and. Buddhism and things, no, no. established belief structures, they're, they're going to be around. Absolutely not. I mean, even 30 years ago, the importance of religion in Western society was just, was far, far greater. Um, and the last 20 years has shown a marked decline in census results, at least in this country, where people are just writing down that they are not religious at all. They have no denomination. And so... It actually becomes a question of, well, are we really after a replacement for religion when arguably religion was just a solution to a problem that doesn't exist? In the sense that, do you actually need this metaphysical, this set of metaphysical claims about why we're here, what it means? I mean, arguably, it's just a misnomer to even ask those questions or to try to seek an answer for them. Uh, it's an argument, but I think that it is something that is something that's just so ingrained in the human experience um, and has been since, I would say, you know, with nothing really to back this up, since we, uh, since our brains were first capable of thought beyond ourselves. Um, I personally don't need an answer to those questions. Um, what does this all mean? I don't feel like I need an answer to that. No, I'm not really sure I need an answer to that either. But um, A lot of people do, though, mm. I think. And those are the questions, that, those sort of questions writ large, that religion has always claimed to have the answer for. Um, you know, that we're essentially here as a giant sort of petri dish that God decided to put together to figure out who's going to chill with him in eternity because, you know, like everyone's sort of standing outside the club on the rope and you yeah. only want the cool kids to get past the bouncer, who I suppose is Satan in this analogy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And that's uh, and you know for many people the that idea is uh, preferable to the you know terrifying thought that you're just a random collection of protons, neutrons, electrons, and when you die, that's it. That's the end of your experience. Um, you just rot in the ground. Um, that's not a pleasant thought. I don't find that thought terrifying, but I don't think it's pleasant, and I would prefer to exist than not. Hmm. Unsurprisingly. Um, and uh, I don't know, there's some interesting stuff in um, this sort of Sam Harris perspective on it where he essentially makes the point that, first of all, there's no such thing as free will, that it's just not an identifiable scientific evidence-based phenomenon, that it's essentially an illusion created by consciousness, which is beyond definition at this point itself. Yeah, I would say that if you're talking about something that's beyond definition, you're going to have to be really careful saying what that does, what it includes, and what it doesn't include. Mm. Um, if you're saying I can't define consciousness, but you know what it doesn't have, it doesn't have free will. I think you. I think that's a reasonable point. Yeah, that's a, that's that's a good point. Um, nonetheless, that's what he claims. Yeah. He says that there are a lot of studies that essentially show that before people think they've made a decision, they've made a decision which would indicate that the decision-making process they think that they're undertaking is actually preordained by other parts of the other other parts of the unconscious mind rather than the conscious mind because everyone would say that free will exists in the conscious mind um, anyway that's his perspective on it and I've got to say that to me was a very interesting thought 
because I think that free will remains one of those ideas that's <coughs> actually remarkably untested. We base an enormous amount of the way that we deal with stuff on the idea of free will, responsibility, personal responsibility and the like, particularly yeah. in the criminal justice system. And I think it's a really interesting idea that perhaps such a thing doesn't exist and how does that change the way you deal with certain social issues. Um, and it's not a pleasant idea because it does take away from um, one's sense of initiative and uh, uh, beingness. Like, it seems somehow to be less of, less of an existence if it's not self-directed. Yeah. Uh, um, I think it's an unattractive idea to people, actually. I feel like it's unattractive, but I also feel like I owe that argument some real consideration because it may well be correct. Uh, I haven't looked into it anywhere near as much as you have, but on what uh, you've just said now about it, I wouldn't give it that much consideration. Hmm. Firstly, on the idea that, oh, you can't define consciousness, but let me tell you what it doesn't include. Secondly, on the idea that you didn't actually make this decision. Your unconscious mind made this decision, which to me is an argument of you didn't actually make this decision, but uh, you actually made this decision. Um, because we don't actually know, again, um, how our unconscious mind works. I mean, that's true. If, like, if you've, if you've, uh, if a part of your mind has started making this decision, mm. then that's still you making that decision, surely. Like, it's not... Yeah, but wouldn't... Don't you think it's commonly understood that the conscious mind and the subconscious mind are relatively well-defined spheres of um, influence in a consciousness? Like, he's proceeding from the assumption that the conscious mind is what we recognise as consciousness and that the subconscious mind is not really part of consciousness. No, I wouldn't draw that distinction at all. Well, in the sense that we don't have access to it. Well, we do. We have access to it every single... Uh, Your subconscious? Isn't that the whole point? Throws. It's called subconscious because we don't have access to it. Because it's not conscious. Uh, uh, not really. It doesn't really work on a, uh, on a podcast. But I just threw a, uh, a thong or flip-flop at Pat. And he caught it. His conscious mind couldn't have caught that. That's true. His subconscious mind did it for him. That's true. Our subconscious mind is part of our consciousness. It is every day in everything we do. The, its results. We see its results, but do you think it's really part of our conscious thinking? Yeah. Our conscious thinking. I, I think our conscious thinking, obviously, uh, in every uh, uh, in every conscious thought we have, has its roots in our subconscious. I, I agree with I that. I don't think that. I'm not saying it doesn't have influence. I'm just saying that it's not part of what would commonly be con considered our conscious mind. Well, I, uh, I, different question entirely. We have a conscious mind and an unconscious mind, but they are intrinsically linked, and our consciousness is both of them for me. Right. That's not my understanding of the definition, but there's so much argument about the definition that probably both fit within various camps in the argument. I mean, it starts getting squirrely. Uh, and that was a good demonstration, by the way. Because that is an interesting, like, you do have those moments in life where you realise there's someone in my head and it's not me. <laughs> like, when you do things without thinking, for instance. Um, catching the thong, um, 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 you know, uh, uh, reacting to a, la a loud noise. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. It's amazing, actually, that, you know, we consider ourselves technologically advanced, but these very, very basic, fundamental, important questions, we're nowhere close to an answer to them. Yeah. Just back to the, uh, quickly on the example of catching that, uh, catching the shoe. Yeah. Um, uh, your consciousness decided to catch that shoe. My subconsciousness decided to. I have no control over my... See, this is the thing. I mean, if I assume that such a thing as free will exists, I have control over my conscious mind. I do not have control over my subconscious mind.
Would you agree with that? That's interesting. I'd have to have a think about it. There's no, there's no question. It's like a one-way street. It influences me, but I have great difficulty. Well, I can't directly influence it. Arguably, by choosing certain you media can, to consume, yeah. certain experiences to expose myself to, I can influence my subconscious, but not you directly. Can, yeah. It's oh, almost no, you as can, if... You can train your subconscious to do all sorts of things. Like how would... Give me an example. Um, driving a car. Honestly, the first time you sit behind the wheel of a car and there are all these sort of things that you have to be paying attention to That's and looking up and like... And, but you've done it for, after you've done it for a few years, your subconscious takes over. You're just driving there along at 100 kilometers an hour in a little death buggy, surrounded by other death buggies. Mm. And it's the most unnatural thing in the world. But you're changing gears, you're checking mirrors, and you're doing it all without really thinking about it. That's true. That's can, true. Like, you can train your subconscious. You've got, you have control over it. To an extent, though, mm. I would say that... Like, as I was saying before, if you, if you expose your subconscious to experiences, media, yeah. and stuff like that, that's going to have an impact on it. But you don't... I mean, you choose what it is exposed to, or rather, yeah. you could say that it actually has influence over what it is exposed to also. But there's a collaborative effort in deciding, perhaps, between <laughs> the conscious and subconscious, yeah. what it's exposed to. I agree with you, though. You can consciously make a decision, I need to learn to drive a car, and you will ultimately educate your subconscious yeah. to do it. Like, yeah, for me, consciousness is the combination of your subconscious and your and your moral, uh, yeah. Um, but, I mean, would you understand the conscious mind to be distinct from the subconscious mind? Uh, no, for me, that is way too linked. Uh, interlinked to be yeah okay that's probably where we ultimately differ yeah um, I see the subconscious as like almost quite like obviously there's an interplay but I see it almost as like separate in a way um, in the sense that it seems to behave by a completely different set of rules to the conscious mind uh, anyway it's some interesting shit I always thought you know if I wasn't doing what I'm doing I'd be a neuroscientist <laughs> Because um, it's always, I mean, ultimately the brain is the, it's the most interesting computer that the universe has produced. Yeah. We, there is no better computer. <laughs> it sounds like a weird way to approach the questions, yeah. but for me, that's what makes it interesting. I mean, there's just so much about the human brains and human thought that we don't know. It's, I, again, why it's I'm very, yeah, it's, yeah. that's why I'm very, very wary of people who start saying things like there's no such thing as free will, because he has no fucking idea that there's no such thing no. I agree with you that he can... We can't be yeah. sure. Yeah. I, and it, I agree that it's an interesting question to think about. Um, but he actually bases that a lot on this contemplative practice of meditation yeah. where there is a sense of the self not existing when you transcend yourself. But this has always been my problem with Buddhists <laughs> and meditators and people of that school of thought where they say just... Do the, like this is one of the central tenets of Buddhism is do the practice and you will have the experiences and you will understand from the experiences. It's like, well, you know, from a scientific perspective, subjective experience is really not the decisive factor. You, you can never be sure about subjective experience. So why would I believe things based on subjective experience of my own mind? <laughs> That might be a complete illusion. I mean, what you're saying is the route to not have an illusion is to examine one's mind. I suppose I just don't think it takes that much that much imagination to take another step back and say that your experience of experiencing your mind is in of itself a fucking illusion. It sounds very postmodern, there, Pat. No, I would not say it's postmodern because I think that there are facts that are establishable. But in this squirrely fucking area, it's very hard to establish facts. Because the mode of observation is the thing that you are observing. <laughs> yeah. And I cannot see a way out of that conundrum. <laughs> I cannot see that you can establish what is factual in that circumstance. Um, unless we build a fucking artificial intelligence, and I know I'm kind of obsessed with this, <laughs> that can examine us truly from an objective standpoint and say, well, no, this is how it fucking works. 
you know, I, yeah. I don't see that we have a way out of this until we really have what we can consider an intelligent, objective observer. And I can't see that that's possible until no. something is intelligent other than human beings, unless aliens decide to land and we can ask them. Maybe they've had, they'd have a useful perspective to offer on it. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I can't see... Uh, yeah, I can't see an answer on the mystery of the human brain anytime soon. And consciousness and, and all of that, yeah. yeah. But it's like, I mean, that's really, traditionally people have written those questions off and just gone, oh, well, religion has an answer to that. Yeah. And if you don't have the religion around answering those quite interesting questions, free will is a perfect example. All of a sudden, there are a lot of things that sort of yeah, yeah, are questionable and yeah. quite interesting fundamental questions. Um I don't just on the the issue of uh, religion and free will and um, how uh, important that has been to human civilization. I don't know enough about the the practice and and basic elements of Hinduism and the caste system. Is it would it be fair to say? I don't know if you know any more about Hinduism than I do in the caste system. Not much. But, okay. I've asked a few Indian people about a few of my Indian sort of mates or people with Indian heritage. I've asked yeah. about it. Yeah. Because I've always sort of had in the back of my mind that that strict caste system basically takes away a lot of the element of free will, and that didn't really seem to hold back. It just restricts the spectrum. Yeah. Like it says. My understanding of it is is that basically your station in life now is determined by your behaviour in previous lives. Yeah. And there's a and spectrum never, of activity you can, that you're allowed to engage yeah. and in you can from never, a station. And you can never go outside of that. Not in the current existence. Yeah. The idea is is that you're reincarnated according to how yeah. well you fulfil your station. And but, it's, yeah. it really provides a theological basis for the society's um, hierarchy. Yeah. So surely that's a limitation on free will that people have lived with for millennia. Well, in that system, yeah. Yeah. Um, although it is slowly sort of, it's receding. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because, I mean, ultimately, um, you can be someone from a very low caste that makes a fuck ton of money. And how does that work? Yeah. Um, but, you know, for, for thousands of years, um, people would just go through their lives um, under a... Well, under a clear uh, imposition on free will and yeah, how, they de- how they decide to live their lives. Um, thats It's just an exaggerated example of the same phenomenon. Yeah. Christian people, for instance, like people who still subscribe to Christianity, there are many restrictions on behaviour. Yeah. They can't go and fuck whoever they want. That's true. That's very true. Can't eat what you want in um, you know, Islam and Ju- uh, Judaism. That's absolutely right, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's almost by necessity, like, religion does introduce impositions on free will. Yeah. Although you could say that legal systems are actually a sort of secularly yeah. Uh, <laughs> imposed version of the same set of rules, yeah. perhaps less restrictive. Yeah. Or more restrictive, depending on the circumstances. Yeah. Religion has nothing to say about corporate law and the regulation of a money-making scheme. Yeah. The Corporations Act will fucking bury you in fine print on that yeah. topic. And I suppose even, you know, Western civilization and uh, and other things had their own sort of ver- versions of the caste system as well. I mean, you had you had your kings and your queens and your nobility and... It was a blunter and, instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there was a bit more, from my understanding, uh, room for people to move through those systems. You know, you could be knighted you know, on the battlefield and become a commoner could become a knight and that sort of thing. Um, and just sheer wealth, you could end up marrying into nobility, and it was far, it was far more fluid. But you had things like that. The f- fucking monarchy. Talking about hangovers of medieval thought systems. The fucking monarchy. Who? I, I just don't. I don't understand. I just. I don't get it. Who today? And there are many people in Australia even who who subscribe to this. That someone just who happened to have been born into a family who've had power because that family, you know, once upon a time were good at killing people, um, basically, Mm. uh, is somehow worthy of adoration. Adoration. I don't. Where the fuck is how? 
Where in bloody human consciousness does that fit? That seems to me just to be a redirected religious impulse. It must, yeah. To be absolutely honest with you, because there's no rational basis for it. Yeah. Um, I think that, um, I mean, people just like, I think there are a lot of people who just have a sentimental attachment to it. Because it, you know how you're talking about religious beliefs just yeah. sort of you continuing know, yeah. through inertia? inertia of belief. Yeah. The monarchy strikes me as really just an example of inertia. Yeah. Um, they should be entirely irrelevant. Uh, I agree they basically should not exist. Yeah. Um, but people are sort of sentimentally attached to the idea. And still, people will, um, people will fight on a battlefield for, uh, you know, queen and country. Yeah. The Poms, the Poms take it seriously. Still. Oh, plenty of Australians take it seriously. It's, I, I don't get it. Um, I don't get it. I don't I'm even re- really I, yeah. get nationalism, for Christ's yeah. sake, you know, which seems to have more basis in reality uh, yeah. than the monarchy, but still is equally silly, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are, yeah. It makes no sense to have such a thing still. It's... I wonder if they'll ever completely go away. Yeah. In a hundred years' time, does the royal family still exist? Mm. I say hopefully not. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, just before we finish, the uh, one of the things in the news this week that has given me hope um, uh, is the, uh, the the absolute pasting that uh, Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott has taken over his decision to make Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, husband of the Queen of Australia, a knight. Tony Abbott brought back knights and dames to Australian political life last year and everyone was like, groan, head slap, you fucking moron. He compounded it this year by making a Prince Duke a knight. Um, and he, uh, he's copped an absolute kicking all week about it. And I just, I have loved that because it's given me some hope for um, <laughs> that we might finally be ridding ourselves of this fucking medieval, irrational, fucking stupid thought system. I really, I hope that's the case. I I can't understand how he thinks that that's a worthwhile thing to have. Uh, I I can't understand. It's it such either. a foreign. Well, I mean, such he, a he foreign way of thinking. Yeah, I mean, he is a palm. He's um, Abbott. Yeah, he's English. He's English. Okay. I I don't know when he moved to Australia, but certainly born um, yeah. there to British par- born in England to British parents. Um, what a, I mean, just. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, if, I, I, I don't a... know when Tony Abbott moved to Australia. I don't know if any of our listeners do. Let us know. Um, it's it's. I have difficulty. Um, I can imagine myself as a radical Islamist before I can imagine <laughs> myself as like someone kind of fixated on the monarchy. Yeah, it it makes no sense. It does at not, all. Even according to their own assumptions that they say they subscribe to, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, how can you believe in democracy at the same time yeah. as believing in that? I, Those two things don't get it. At least, like, radical Islamists are consistent. Yeah, there is no consistency <laughs> of belief within a modern Western democ- democratic, um, f- you know, freedom-loving human being who also is like, yeah, the monarchy. Yeah, um, I agree. I'm a Democrat, but I also agree on conferring station according to what vagina you emerge from. Yeah. It's totally bizarre. It's totally bizarre. And I am just so glad that Tony Abbott has copped the mother of all kickings all week to the point that, um, you know, there are strong rumours of a leadership spill. All of his main cheerleaders in the conservative press in Australia have been just kicking the shit out of him all week. Rupert Murdoch has been tweeting criticisms of... um, it seems almost a pity to end up talking about Tony Abbott after a pretty interesting yeah. But I mean, it's an int- but in terms of like, it's an interesting current example of an irrational belief that originally stems from religion. Basically, you really get the sense um, that beliefs like that people are just I'm fucking holding on to it. Yeah, and almost I'm more convinced I want to hold on to it because you're telling me it's silly. Hmm. I don't know what it is. There's this kind of like, I I just have this feeling sometimes that, say for instance, 
the radical Southern Republican. Yeah. They kind of revel in the nonsensical nature of what they're saying. Yeah. Like, they kind of... You can tell they almost enjoy the fact that it makes no sense. Yeah. The it, more they... It feels more visceral by dint of not being rational. Yeah. Like, it... it uh, there's almost a power to how much you can deny um, in that the more they deny basic, obvious scientific truths, the stronger their own beliefs seem. Like, the more evidence that they their belief can swat aside. Yeah. If that makes... Well, I mean, obviously it doesn't make sense. It's irrational as fuck. But, um, I mean, the, the people who are setting... Like, the people who are basically arguing that, um, you know, the 6,000-year-old Earth... And that, um, you know, dinosaurs were around in biblical times uh, because there's reference to a beast called a behemoth. Like, you're a fucking moron, but so many people believe that. And it's it's almost seems like just the sheer amount of seemingly obvious scientific fact that they can overcome to still believe what they believe, this the stronger their belief is getting. Yeah, that is a weird phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't. But I think that such a thing exists where people can basically know that they're not correct or have suspicions they're not correct at the same time as just being 100% convinced that they are. It's like wrapped up with their identity. I think it's essentially a fear of separation from the idea mm. in the sense that they do not know who they'd be if they didn't have that idea as yeah. part of who they are. I think there's a real fear of the annihilation of self if you give up yeah. the idea that's central to you. Yeah. You, I think they start to have difficulty distinguishing between themselves and the ideas that they have. Yeah. And I mean, there's, uh, and that's not, um, that's not something that's, uh, specific to religion. Um, no, not at all. Um, not at all. I mean, we, uh, we're big fans of the TV show, the Americans and the, uh, the ideologue wife character whose whole idea of self is, based around her loyalty to the Soviet Union. Um, yes, and the husband is just more circumspect. Yeah. He's just more of a pragmatist. Yeah, and now, I mean, then you've got it right down to, I mean, people who, you know, uh, see themselves as, um, you know, first and foremost uh, an Australian or first and foremost um, uh, an American. So, I mean, they... they their identity is um, based around where they were born rather than their religion, but it's still just a stronger outside influence on their own sense of self, I suppose. Um, yeah. And you could... It would also explain this idea of, like, if I let go of this idea, there's an annihilation of myself. Mm. That would explain why people get so crazy when their ideas are under attack. Yeah. Because... To me, I don't really identify, uh, I probably do at some point, but I can't think of many ideas where I identify them as central to who I am. And so if someone attacks one of my ideas or a perspective that I agree with, it's like, oh, that's an interesting... Like, I do not yeah. really feel identified. I don't feel like they're attacking me when they attack my idea. Um, and I think that that's um, a distinction that a lot of people don't draw. Mm. Uh, yeah. arguably religious people. And I can, frankly, I understand it more in the religious context because religion goes so deep in defining who a person is. Yeah. Because it is such a global sort of um, set of claims. Yeah. And again, it's the, um, it's the, uh, <laughs> the authority of eternity in an, in a, uh, in an argument yeah. that religion has. It's like, this isn't just who you are now and, in this short span of life, this is, you know, who you are for fucking eternity. Uh, but what I can't understand is when people have ideas that are less global, mm. for instance, 
uh, trickle-down economics. Oh. Uh, and oh, they... I mean, people who tie themselves to a fucking political party, like, I'm a Republican, or I'm a, uh, I'm a Labour man in Australia, or whatever it is. Like, really? I... Yeah. What, you're, you're basing your identity on a political party? Yeah. I, eh. yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it either. Um, that's, I suppose we could talk about tribalism. Yeah. Um, and there is obviously an instinct in that direction as well as religion and they're complementary, really. Yeah. Or I'd say they're complementary phenomena. Yeah, I'd say they are too, but, um, as in they, or, or they can be, they don't have to be. Um, yeah. As in you can have tribalism that has nothing to do with religion. Totally. Totally. I mean, sports teams yeah. being a great example. Yeah. Anyway, well, I think uh, let's call it a day, mate. Yeah, that, that, that ended up being a pretty interesting discussion for us. Hopefully, for you listeners too. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see you guys next week, and um, if anyone's crazy enough to still be listening, and if you've if you've uh, got any thoughts on any of the things that uh, we've talked about here, yeah, email mail at patternrodsavetheworld.com. Yeah, or find us on Twitter. Twitter, yep, that uh, is it. At yep, Roderick Makem, and at PJ Brow, B-R-O-W. So uh, catch you all next week. Have a good one. See ya.